Welcome to Times Talk, the podcast where we dig a little deeper into the issues facing Malta right now. I'm Vanessa Keneally. On this episode... It was one of the first times that we saw someone credibly identify another person who may be at the very top of this murder plot. As the court case against the alleged mastermind in the killing of journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia resumed on Monday, we'll bring you the latest on what we've been hearing. And... The current syllabus creates stress because we fail to understand why we learn facts rather than how to interpret these facts. A new study by the World Health Organization says Malta has the most stressed out teenagers in Europe and North America. But why? It's one of Malta's most high-profile cases, the murder of journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia in 2017. And the investigation is still ongoing. On Monday, the compilation of evidence against businessman Jorgen Fennick, the alleged mastermind behind her murder, resumed after being put on hold because of the pandemic. Times of Malta reporter Ivan Martin is here to tell us more. Okay, Ivan, so just to give people a little bit of background, when did this all begin? So in October of 2017, Daphne Caruana a Maltese journalist, was killed while she was investigating government corruption. She was murdered in a car bomb explosion just outside her home. After Daphne had been killed, the police started to zero in on a group of men that they believed were the hitmen, the guys who had actually planted the bomb and detonated it. They were eventually charged in court. Two brothers, Alfred and George the Georgia, and a third man, Vincent Muscat. It was only after these three men were charged in court that the police started to identify other players that were believed to be involved in Daphne's killing. And they eventually got to a man called Melvin Toma. It was identified to the police by a source. And they established that he was the middleman between the hitmen and the person or people who had commissioned Daphne's killing. So after months of, of tailing Toma, they brought him in. They arrested him on money laundering charges because Melvin was involved in a number of rackets involving legal lottos and black market gambling. It was when Melvin was arrested on money laundering charges that um, he told police that he wanted to strike a bargain and provide information on Daphne Caruana murder in exchange for immunity. Part of the information that he offered up identified someone at the top of the murder plot, and that was Jürgen Fennec. Jürgen Fennec is one of Malta's richest men. He's a business tycoon at the top of the Tomas Group, which is a real estate company that also has uh, interests in, in casinos and uh, other side ventures. And things really kicked off last October when you yourself and Jacob Borge and Herman Grech worked on a story. Can you just remind our listeners about that? So it was about, around about that time that um, we started um, building a narrative based on information from, so- from multiple sources that the police had identified um, a person at the very top of the murder plot that they had established who the middleman was and they had started to really zero in on these players 
uh, when we ran that story, an investigation that had been sort of dragging its feet for several months went up again. And what we saw in the weeks that followed were a number of arrests. There was one extremely dramatic moment where Jorgen Fennec tried to escape to Italy on his yacht. So Jorgen Fennec was being monitored by the police for uh, several weeks, perhaps months. And one late night, early morning, when he was dropped off at his super yacht and steamed out of his uh, private marina, that uh, the police and the army swooped in on him and arrested him. In the hours after Jürgen Fennec's arrest, uh, there was a lot of police activity and we saw a number of high-profile people being brought in for questioning. These included politicians like Joseph Muscat, former Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Keith Skembring, and Economy Minister Chris Cardona. This eventually led to some resignations. Yeah, so Keith Skembri resigned uh, the day he was taken in for questioning. And um, Chris Cardona suspended himself temporarily and then reinstate, was reinstated. But Joseph Muscat, buckling under the pressure of uh, days on end of public protests, eventually announced that he too would be stepping down as of January. This week, we saw the case of the year, some would say in the century, continue in court after a coronavirus recess. The case I'm talking about is the compilation of evidence against Jürgen Fennec by the police in the Daphne Caruana Grizia murder case. Now, the police's star witness, Melvin Toma, the self-confessed middleman turned state evidence, has been giving testimony detailing what happened inside the plot to kill Daphne. And he's been backing this up with secret audio recordings that he started taking in the months after Daphne was killed. The audio recordings and the testimony given by Melvin have been one of the rare glimpses into the murder, the people involved, and the way that they operate, the way that they think. We saw a little taste of conversations between Melvin and Jürgen Fennec. It was very high stakes, Vanessa, so they were talking about uh, the investigation into the murder and developments that also showed investigators that these guys had a pretty good knowledge of what was going on in the investigation while it was happening. Monday sitting in court was particularly interesting because it was one of the first times that we saw someone credibly identify another person who may be at the very top of this murder plot. So Melvin Toma gave testimony that he had been told that Chris Cardona may have played a part in this former economy minister, who is still the deputy leader of the Labour Party today. And much like the way things have gone throughout this investigation, it's all been about finger pointing, you know, and this this seems to be playing out again this week. Well, Melvin Toma was answering questions put to him by lawyers and the prosecution over what he heard and what he had been told. So Melvin told court that he had heard that a phone had been found outside uh sort of lair used by the hitmen. This phone had been dumped in the sea, but when it was fished out by investigators, they found two numbers on it. One belonging to one of the hitmen and one belonging to Chris Cardona. Melvin also told the court that he had been told that a middleman acting on Chris Cardona's behalf 
had paid the hitman up to 350,000 euros. Now, we know that this middleman, who was first identified as someone whose name begins with B, we now know that he is someone called Anthony Bigley, and he worked for Chris Cardona as a political canvasser. He joined the Labour Party in 2013, and shortly after the Labour Party won the 2013 election, he was given a government job, and there he remains. Melvin Thoma also told the court on Monday that he had heard that a close associate of Chris Cardona, called David Gatt, a former policeman turned lawyer, who shares an office with Chris Cardona, had been in contact with the, the, the Georgia brothers and told them that if they wanted to pin the murder on Chris Cardona, he would have them killed. Melvin Toma also told the court that uh, he had been told that the, the Georgia brothers had been overheard in a police van being escorted back from court one day where they said to each other, let's put this on Chris Cardona. And apparently some correctional officers overheard them talking and recorded their conversation. So this is all testimony that points to Chris Cardona having some sort of involvement. But at the same time, it is testimony that's based on stuff that Melvin Toma has heard, not stuff that he knows for a, for a fact. And that is uh, how we're informed Chris Cardona has uh, responded to these claims, um, some of which were put to him by police when he was interrogated last And what year. has he said in his response? Chris Cardona uh, spoke to Times of Water and he told us that uh, the testimony was based on hearsay. And he also says that it's an attempt to frame him for the murder. Now, this is something that Chris has said before. Uh, last year, a letter emerged that Jürgen Fennec gave investigators. Now, Jürgen says that this letter was written by Keith Schembri with the intent of pinning the murder on Chris Cardona. And the letter details... Uh, a plot in which Chris would provide assistance in a smuggling racket in exchange for Daphne's killing. Still to come, the World Health Organization says Maltese 15-year-olds feel more pressure from schoolwork than any teens in Europe or North America. We speak to one young man who thinks he knows why. At the Times of Malta, we know this is a difficult period for everyone, and we're feeling it too. We're doing our best to bring you the most factual information every day and put pressure on authorities to answer all of your questions and more. But independent journalism costs money, and we need your help. Please go to www.timesofmalta forward slash donate and give as little as two euro. Thank you. A new study by the World Health Organization says our young people are the most stressed out in Europe and North America, and it's all down to schoolwork. Researchers spoke to 230,000 adolescents aged 11 to 15 in 45 countries in 2018 and released the results earlier this week. The study found that 80% of 15-year-old girls and 62% of boys living in Malta are struggling when it comes to social and mental health pressure. 
And while the results are slightly better than what they were in 2014, they're still not where we want to be. Leon Bortolo is a 15-year-old who gave us his opinion about why he thinks teens are feeling the pressure. So Leon, tell me, how do you feel when you read something or are told that Maltese teenagers are the most stressed in Europe and North America? Nowadays, teens are under the pressure of school curriculum. At the times, teens have to learn information, which is, which, is, which is no longer relevant to the future generations. In my opinion, teaching should focus more on how to look for and interpret information rather than learning countless facts by heart only to satisfy the examiner's marking scheme. The current syllabus creates stress because we fail to understand why we learn facts rather than how to interpret these facts. I study Maltese and English and Italian, the languages, and I study chemistry, computer studies and accounts. The school syllabus is quite large in, um, in amount, so I believe that even the fact that we need to study everything by heart, we can like search everything on the internet nowadays. So you think it's, it's dated? I believe so, yes, because it's about learning countless facts when in reality, nowadays technology has improved and it, it's become so advanced that we don't need to, un- to learn everything by heart. So like we can search the periodic table on the computer and understand it. We need, we need to learn how to interpret data, not learn it by heart. When you are in school, do you feel a disconnect between you and your teachers? Our teachers are quite outgoing, so we have a lot of teachers who help us in every way. So I don't feel disconnected, but it's more about the syllabus rather than their teaching. Because it's quite like they need to work out and understand and help us finish the syllabus in the end of the day. I believe the the most pressure we feel as students is during the uh, final exams because sometimes even the teachers tell us we need to study a lot and I believe that's fundamental for us to study. But you as somebody who wants to study law, I mean, you will need to learn, go through a lot of back cases to understand, to show where precedent has been set. I mean, that in itself is, is kind of a study. But in that way of sense, like, you will help, how do I put it? Uh, when studying case, it's it's like studying something that happened in the past and you like to, you are interpreting that case and you're checking which law was impli- implied on that uh, particular case. So I believe that's more interpreting the case rather than studying the case. Another way that, that teens seem to be under a lot of pressure at the moment is social media. Are you yourself on social media? Are you um, on Instagram and Messenger and even on WhatsApp, I communicate with my friends and my family. I mean, the studies show that girls are under a lot more pressure than boys. Um, do you do you agree with that? Yeah, it could be one of the signs because they have to, like, they have to face every. But even boys have to face some type of judgment and something like that. When you talk amongst your friends and that, what kind of conversations would you be having? Do you talk about mental health? It's a common taboo subject, which is seldomly discussed in groups, but on occasions. Discussed in confidence between close friends. I believe it's worldwide. There are some people who have to face a lot of different challenges. 
So it could be stressful, yes. COVID-19 has meant that you and your your school friends are, are at home alone. Talk to me about that. How has that added pressure? I was thunderstruck when on the 13th, March, our headmaster advised us to pack all things, inferring that it would be some time till we returned back to school. Uh, COVID-19 reaped our school leaving celebrations, our graduation day and our farewells. In the first days, a veil of uncertainty surrounded us, thus creating stress on how we should be preparing for the O-level exams. I was concerned if the exams would be conducted on plan and was unaware of what adjustments were required to adjust to the new realities. As of today, I still see closure and look forward to the day when we will organize our graduation day to meet my friends and former teachers and celebrate our success together. Thanks for listening today. Please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's any topics you'd like us to investigate, feel free to contact us at the email address timestalk at timesofmalta.com. Goodbye.